I appreciate uh, Brother John's study this morning. He asked me what the theme today was going to be, and I said, I'm going to talk about Bible study principles. And, <laughs> and he said, oh, that's good. I'll put a study together, question and answer and this, and then later on you get thinking, what if he covers everything I'm going to cover? <laughs> but I just trusted the Lord. My experience is God works that stuff out. And it doesn't, it doesn't hurt to have emphasis, does it? <laughs> and so I'm coming from a little bit different um, side, sort of, but uh, you'll see how it really plays together. And, and uh, my kids can tell you, and some of the young may uh, tell you that I call that a Holy Spirit thing. That's what I tell them. That's a Holy Spirit thing. We can't explain it, but God can. Amen? There is an old saying that goes, see if I do it right, give a man a fish, you heard this? Give a man a fish, you feed him for a day. Teach a man to fish and you feed him for how long? A lifetime. Isn't this exactly what Jesus was trying to do as he lived among us? Even though he performed miracles, didn't he? There were times that his emphasis wasn't on miracles, was it? People will just follow miracles. And we know, we live down here at the end of time, that the whole world's going to follow after miracles. But Jesus, what he was trying to do, he wanted us to learn to trust him to be productive on our own by his grace. Now, while walking next to the Sea of Galilee, Jesus called out to Andrew and Peter, and he said, Come ye after me, and I will make you to become what? Fishers of men. To transform ordinary fishermen into fishers of men would involve a process of training. And let me tell you, if you haven't figured it out, I'm sure you have, there's a right way and a not-so-right way to be trained. Sometimes bad habits are learned when the wrong principles are taught. The Bible gives us lots of examples uh, of men exchanging the principles of God for their own doctrines. There's tons of examples for that. My old coaches used to uh, always say, practice makes perfect. Have you ever heard that? Practice makes perfect. But in a scriptural sense, I think it is better said that perfect practice makes perfect. In Matthew 5 and verse 48, Jesus said, Be therefore, what? Perfect, perfect even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. So, He's told us the standard. The standard is what? Perfection. <laughs> and then provided the perfect tools for us to use to reach that standard by exercising faith. Being a maintenance man and a carpenter for most of my life, I learned that there's a right tool for the job. Does that guy have the right tool for the job? Well, eventually. <laughs> if I had the right tool, I'd have been gone probably days by the time he gets done with that tree. But there's a right tool for the right job. And if you want to do good work and do it correctly, you must use the right tools. Studying the Word of God uh, in order to be like Jesus, to be perfect as our Father in Heaven is perfect, is no different really. Uh, if we wish to reach that perfection of character... Um, we must be able to understand correctly that this manual, the Bible. Um, we must be able to understand it correctly, and we must use the right tools that will help us to get there. So if I can lay out some tools here that the Bible is given to rightly divide the Word of God, then I've effectually taught you how to fish uh, for spiritual truth. Are you willing to search for it? I think we are, aren't we? then you need to have the right tool for the job to get it done correctly. My grandparents lived in Florida for about 35 years. 
And so while I was growing up in Indiana, we only seen him a couple times a year. We would go down probably twice a year. Dad would take us down there. And each time we'd go to vacation, we'd go to Daytona Beach. Has anybody ever been to the beach? Either coast, doesn't matter. Um, many times when we were at the beach, we saw somebody. Now, this is when I was a young man, very young child. We'd see somebody with a metal detector. Have you ever seen a metal detector? And what would he be doing? He'd be searching for what he thought was hidden treasure. And this became a real craze uh, when I was younger, so much so that my brother begged my mother for a metal detector. And he got one eventually for his birthday. Uh, And we had a lot of fun with that, that metal detector, that treasure-finding tool, as I call it. You see, friends, if a person is very serious about searching for something of value, they invest in the tools that will give them the best advantage in their search. Uh, there was a, uh, several years ago, there was an expedition, so to speak, of this submarine that they sent down uh, to the bottom of the Black Sea looking for, you know, historical treasures. They invested millions of dollars in that. And the thought popped in my mind, we have human beings today that will spend millions to find those kinds of treasures And a number of people will make excuses to pick up the Lord's book and find simple treasures in it. That's just rather amazing to me to see. In Matthew 13 and verse 44, Jesus said, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto treasure hid in a field, the which... When a man hath found, he hideth, and for joy thereof goeth and selleth all that he hath, and buyeth that field. You know, in ancient times, it was customary for men to hide their treasures in the earth. Because there were a lot of thieves. Let me tell you, that hasn't changed today. Um, But there were a lot of thieves. Robberies were frequent. The rich endeavored to preserve their wealth in doing that and uh, conceal it. Uh, The earth at that time was thought to be a really good hiding place, unless you forget where you buried it. It's not so good. And uh, in Christ's day, it was not uncommon uh, to discover in some neglected lands these treasures. And here we have uh, the uh, story of the man who was plowing a field. Something you'll notice, and this isn't my sermon for today, but this wasn't the man's field, was it? He was plowing in somebody else's field. Whether he was hired or not, we don't know. We're not told. What we're told is he found something there and he went to get all that he had, sold everything to buy that field. But it's not an, it wasn't uncommon in, in Christ's day for this to happen. But that, it still happens somewhat today. A lot of it's done in the oceans now, looking for treasures This parable illustrates, I think, the value of the heavenly treasure and the effort that should be made to secure it. The finder of the treasure, he was ready to what? Part with everything he had. Jesus says, come to me. I need all of you. I don't need partial attention. I need your entire heart. This guy sold all he had because he saw the value of what was in that field. And he put forth incredible labor to secure it. So the finder of heavenly treasure will count no labor too great, no sacrifice, we talk about sacrifice today, too dear in order to gain the treasures of truth. I hope that we're as interested in searching for truth as that farmer was, or that that man in that field. In John 5 and verse 39, Jesus said to do what? Search the Scriptures. He didn't just say, read the Scriptures. A lot of people read. Uh, I used to call them um, surface readers. You know, a lot of surface readers... But we need to dig down below the surface. 
We need to search the Scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and they are they which do what? They testify of Christ. And if we want to be like Christ, that's where we find out about Him. So how do we search the Scriptures? What tools do we need uh, to find these hidden treasures in God's Word? Well, what I'm speaking about is primarily Bible study principles. So in this study, um, I'm going to refer to these principles as treasure-finding tools. That's what I call them, treasure-finding tools. They're, they're what we can use to dig for the truths of God. Now, I have 12 of them here, and hopefully I'll be able to get through all of them here with you this morning. These are, these are probably basic hand tools, not the power tools. Prophecy... Uh, the study of prophecy and, and some tools and principles to study that can be looked at as power tools, maybe. But these are hand tools. Hebrews 5 and verse 12, For when for the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God. The first principles. Well, what's a principle? Well, a principle, according to Webster here, is a general truth. It's a law comprehending many subordinate truths as the principles of morality, of law, of government, etc. So the basic principles of the Word of God are, what's it say there? General truths which can apply to many different specific truths. Let me ask you something. When you're reading and studying the Bible, maybe you've read a scripture, and I'm sure this has happened to you because it's happened to me. You've read a scripture and something else pops out at you that never had happened before. Isn't that true? The basic principles of the Word of God are general truths which can apply to many different specific truths. And I think God has built that into His Word because we are all at so many different levels in our understanding, as John talked about this morning, our understanding, our education. Sometimes one person can discern it quickly, another person can't so much. So God has it layered in. I'll tell you what, God can put so much truth into one word, it's amazing. (laughs) It's just amazing. And praise Him for that. And I believe that these principles can and should be used by everyone. Uh, from those reading the Bible for the first time to, to, to the advanced scholar. These are the principles that the Bible tells us. And if it's in the Bible, it was inspired, right? From God. The first treasure finding tool. Trust in God. Trust in God. This seems too simple, doesn't it? It seems simple, but all too often it's one of the basic principles that gets set aside. We must trust that what God says is the absolute truth. Or our study may lead us to error and away from heaven. And we we want to be with the Lord. We want to... Why do we want to be with the Lord, by the way? Is it because we love Him? That's why I want to be with the Lord, because I love Him. This will help us. Proverbs 3, 5 to 7. Trust in who? With how much? All thine heart, and lean not. Lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge Him, and He shall... What will He do? Direct. He'll direct thy paths... Be not wise in thine own eyes. Jeremiah 15, 5-7. Cursed be the man that trusteth in who? Man. John talked about words today, this morning. You know, they copied words. And they've changed the Bible versions to where they think trying to get the thoughts of the men. Trusting in the man's thoughts. 
instead of God's Word. Right? Blessed is the man that what? Trusteth in the Lord. Isaiah 9.16. This is kind of interesting. For the leaders of this people do what? Cause them to err. Now there's nothing wrong with leadership, is there? But these particular leaders cause them to err. That's why you can't put your whole trust in them. <laughs> right? And they that are led of them, what happens? They're destroyed. Well, I don't want you to be destroyed, and I don't want to be destroyed either. I like old Pastor Brooks used to say, you check me out, what I'm telling you. You check me out. And I like to believe, I don't know if this is a humble statement or not, I like to believe that I'm humble enough (laughs) to be shown that I'm wrong. Isaiah 8.20. I Adventists know this one, don't they? To the law and to the testimony, if they speak not according to this word, it's because there's no light in them, no truth in them. If we believe the conclusions of others uh, without studying to see if they are wrong or by comparing uh, such conclusion against God's law and His inspired testimony of His Word, as it says here, then we're trusting in man. And if we believe our own conclusions, and this is, the, this is the one that gets a lot of people, if we believe our own conclusions without being willing to examine evidence that we're wrong, then we are trusting in self. And this is also known as being prejudice. You break that down, pre-judges. Prejudice. To prematurely judge before examining all the available uh, credible evidence. So we'll get to that in a minute too. John 3.16, how many know that verse? <laughs> Probably the most well-known verse in the entire world. For God so loved the world that He gave. I always pause right there. He gave. We don't have a Father in Heaven that's a tyrant or a dictator. He's love. He gave. And friends, if you cannot trust a love that is that strong and deep for you, what can you trust? I'll tell you. Never forget this, and I've said this many times. God always has your best interest at heart. Always. Even if we're going through hardship, there's a reason that God has allowed that. And it's because He loves us. And we need it in some way. Sometimes we can't see that way. <laughs> I'm like, this is really hard. But something's going to happen here. There have been instances in my life where I've been put in situations and I think, I can't think of why I'm here other than I gotta, I'm going to be witnessing to somebody. Because I can't see it. And pretty much that's what happens. <laughs> and I just go away praising the Lord. All right. <coughs> Always trust God. By the way, there have been um, many skeptics that have set out to prove the Bible wrong through the years. Who after studying it have concluded that there is a creator God who they can implicitly trust. Second treasure finding tool. Prayer. Asking God for help. Asking the author of the Bible, the one who inspired it, for help. And we should never study the Word of God without praying for the gift of the Holy Spirit and for discernment and for wisdom. Right? Luke eleven thirteen. If ye then, being evil... That always grabbed me. Wow. <laughs> if ye then, being evil... Know how to give good gifts unto your children. How much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask Him? He's chomping at the bit to give you the Holy Spirit. He's waiting for permission. He's given us the freedom to choose. James 1.5 
If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. That giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. Who better, friends, to reveal the treasure of truth to us than the one who hid it to begin with? And there's a reason why he's hidden it. Because he wants us to search it. John 14, 26. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall do what? Teach. He's going to teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. Never. That's a strong word, isn't it? Never is so precise. So it's not a gray area. (laughs) It's not a gray area, is it? Never should the Bible be studied without what? Prayer. Before opening its pages, we should ask for the enlightenment of the Holy Spirit and it will be given. Third treasure finding tool, consistent, diligent study. And this takes some training too, as far as that goes. Consistent, diligent study. John 8. 31, 32, if ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed, and ye shall know the truth. If we do what? If we continue, we're going to know what? The truth. We continue in his word. And the truth shall make you free. Let me ask you a question. Make us free from what? Sin. That's the ultimate, isn't it? This is a great controversy dealing with the sin issue. It will make us free from the error that leads to the slavery of sin. But we've got to have regular meal times with the words of Christ. He say, I am the bread of life. We open that Bible, that's a meal. And it's not enough to nibble not enough to sip on the word. Instead, we got to eat and drink heartily, but not overeat. We need to have a balanced diet of Bible study. Temperance in all things. You know, some people get locked up in a, a room and they'll be in there two, three days studying your Bible. That's not healthy, friends, I'm going to tell you. Because there's more than just the brain. We got the physical, don't we? It needs to be balanced. You wouldn't live very long if you just had an occasional snack or if you ate all the time. I heard a, 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 an advertisement on the radio the other day. I was driving to town and it was a truck driver talking about some health thing. They always have these health fads for you to diet. And he was saying how he was a truck driver and, and you probably appreciate this. He said he had food open on his dash. That's what stuck in my mind. He had food open on his dash and in his seat all the time. And he weighed 400 and some pounds. Is it any wonder? Thank God he figured it out. The guy had lost like 200 pounds or something like that. But he's, you know, he's extolling these diet pills or whatever, you know. But it's just, you know... Overeat. We've got to have a balance, friends, between the physical, the mental, the spiritual foods that nourish us. Consistent, diligent study. Some people say, and I, I've been told that, you know, Pastor, I, I just don't have time. I just don't have time. I'm too busy to study the Bible much. But what would happen if they were too busy to literally eat and drink? Everyone has the same 24 hours a day, don't we? You know, as I see it, the problem is not a lack of time. It's mixed up priorities. And Satan is always willing to help in that regard. He'll arrange the priorities for us if we let him. Let's not let him do that, friends. Matthew 6, 33. But seek ye third, 
for first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things. That's the food, the clothing, your shelter, um, all the necessities of life. God will provide those. As he says, shall be added unto you. Let's go to Acts 17, verse 11. These were more noble than those in Thessalonica, in that they received the word with what? With all readiness of mind. All readiness of mind. They were eager. They wanted to receive the word. And then what did they do? And searched the scriptures, how often? Daily. Whether those things were so. As uh, Skeet, Elder Skeet talked about earlier this morning. Daily. We read and, and search the scriptures daily. And that's what these in Thessalonica did, these believers. And Paul's saying that they were counted as more noble because they received the word with readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily. Jeremiah 29 and verse 13. And ye shall seek me and what? Find me. God's not hiding from us. He's saying you need to search it out. Seek me. When you seek me, you shall find me. When ye shall search for me with half my heart, half your heart. No, with all your heart. Jesus said I need full devotion. I need your entire heart. Let me share this with you. The Review and Herald, February 8, 1881. True love for Jesus will lead to the most close and earnest inquiry as to what is truth. What will lead us? True love for Jesus. She says Christ prayed that his disciples might be sanctified through the truth. He who is too indolent to make anxious, prayerful search for truth will be left to receive errors which shall prove the ruin of his soul. So, a true love for Jesus, as Paul says, the love of Christ constrains us. It pushes us. It leads us to what? As she says here, the most close and earnest inquiry as to what is truth. You don't have to be a theologian, friends, to search the scriptures or comprehend the word of God, but you do need to use the right principles. And if we are in um, the, the habit of diligently studying the word on a daily basis, we will be much better prepared to understand and apply these basic principles of study to reach that perfection that Jesus wants us to reach. Let's go to the fourth treasure finding tool, and it is the principle of conditions. Now this is one that um, there, there seems to be confusion about. I run into this uh, all too often, I think. But like every other principle, a condition is something that is not stated everywhere, though it is stated somewhere. And yet, it does apply even in places where it is not specifically stated. In fact, many conditions and principles apply everywhere. You know, conditional statements can be described in many different ways. And the common ones are when you see the words, you know, if, unless, uh, the word except. Those are just some of the more common words which are used to describe a conditional nature. Let me give you some examples here. Zechariah chapter 6 and verse 15. And this shall come to pass if ye will diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God. Is that a conditional statement? Yes, it is. Let's look at Psalms 119, verse 92. Unless thy law had been my delight, I should then have perished in mine affliction. This is a conditional statement. Let's look at another one. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 20. 
This is our Lord speaking. For I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. Those are three conditional statements. Let me share this with you. Selected Messages, Volume 1, page 67. Look at this. It should be remembered that the promises and threatenings of God are alike. What? What's she say? Conditional. Now, you know, many conditions are found at various places throughout the Bible. The word if, for example, is used about 1,600 times in the King James Version Bible. And it's found in almost every book of the Bible. But here's where many people get off track. They don't realize that conditions can apply even in places where the condition is not specifically stated. Let me give you an example of this. Look at this. Jonah chapter 3 and verse 4. Read this with me. And Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey, and he cried and said, Yet forty days, and what? Nineveh shall be overthrown. Let me ask you, is this a conditional statement? Think about it. Doesn't look like it, right? Well, it's not a conditional statement. If you read the entire book of Jonah, friends, you'll not find one single conditional statement regarding the destruction of Nineveh at the end of the 40 days. Yet the prophecy was obviously conditional because the people repented and God didn't destroy their city at the end of the 40 days. You see, the unstated condition was if you don't repent, Nineveh will be destroyed. And, and look at verse 10, Jonah 3 and verse 10. And God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way, and God repented of the evil that he had said that he would do unto them, and he did it not. But in the entire book of Jonah, you're not going to find one conditional statement, but yet it was conditional, you see. It had to be stated somewhere in the scriptures, and it, and it was. This is from the book Desire of Ages, page 106. You see that the Jewish nation had the same, same problem understanding this principle of conditions. She says the Jews had misinterpreted God's promise of eternal favor to Israel. And then she quotes Jeremiah chapter 31 verses 35 uh, to 37. She goes on, the Jews regarded their natural descent from Abraham as giving them a claim to this promise. But they overlooked the conditions which God had specified. The point is that God did specify the conditions somewhere, if not in the actual promise, you see. Uh, many people, and probably the majority, they don't understand that the promises and threats of God are conditional. And what are God's promises conditional upon? Well, obedience. You see, friends, in order to make it possible for him to bless us, we have to do our part by faith. Because we come to an agreement with God. That's why it's a, a conditional promise. The fifth treasure-finding tool is that Scripture interprets Scripture. Now, if I completely depend on a minister or teacher uh, to explain the Bible to me, and let's say that they should guess at its meaning, or desire to have it so on account of their creed, or because maybe they're thought to be very wise, well then their guessing, their desire, their creed, or their wisdom is my rule of faith and practice, and not necessarily the Bible. So while we are to respect uh, uh, those that are called into ministry, we are to put all our trust only in Jesus Christ. Amen?
Isaiah chapter 28, verses 9 and 13. Whom shall he teach knowledge? And whom shall he make to understand doctrine? Right? The word of the Lord was unto them precept upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little, there a little. Scripture interprets Scripture, you see. Here's a familiar one. Second Peter chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. We have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto ye do well that ye take heed, Peter's saying. No prophecy of the Scripture is, is of any private interpretation. So in searching the Scriptures, we're not to endeavor to interpret them so as to agree with our preconceived ideas, you know, our personal opinion or our inclination. And this seems to be the hardest thing for us to do. Uh, we, all of us, every one of us, we have our own experiences. We have our own uh, education. We, we have our own talents and gifts, our, our own discernment. Some can discern things quicker than others, as Elder Skeet pointed out uh, in Sabbath school. Um, we're all different. And it, and it is and can be difficult not to have preconceived ideas. Um, virtually impossible almost, but with Christ all things are possible, right? Uh, so we, we must come as a learner, though, you see, to understand the foundation principles of the faith of Christ and let the Word of God interpret itself. And, and it will. Uh, where did these principles come from? They didn't come from Pastor Joel. They're from the Bible. God is telling us how to study and search out His Word. And as you use these study principles you will see that it will interpret itself. It will explain itself. We need to have, have teachable spirits. The Holy Scriptures will be explained by other and clearer texts. You'll find this the more diligently that you search, uh, search them out. Um, scripture interprets Scripture, friends. One passage will be the key to other passages. Um, and let me tell you something. There are no actual contradictions in God's Word. There are issues with some translations. You know, some have purposely changed or omitted words. But if you check the original language, it will usually clear up uh, any confusion. So if there seems to be contradiction, uh, I encourage you, keep digging for clearer uh, plain and direct Bible statements that will interpret less clear or indirect Bible statements. And uh, trust God. The Holy Spirit has been promised to lead us into all truth. The sixth treasure finding tool is that all Scripture is necessary. All Scripture. All Holy Spirit inspired writings are to be considered when searching for the truth of God. We're not to add to or take away from God's Word, but to consider it in its entirety um, using the principles of study that we're learning. All Scripture is necessary. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. We're familiar with this Scripture. All Scripture is given by what? Inspiration of God. And is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That's what we're doing here. We're learning these Bible study principles. Uh, we're being instructed after righteousness, how to be more righteous. That the man of God may be perfect. There's that P word again. Thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Here's another scripture. Luke 24 Verses 25 and 27. Jesus speaking, O fools, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. And beginning at Moses, and how many of the prophets? All the prophets. He expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. He used all the scriptures. 
And we're familiar with this, Revelation 22, verses 18 to 19. For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book, if any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city, and from the things which are written in this book. Oh, friends, I don't want my name taken out of the book of life. I don't want your name taken out of the book of life. And by the way, this is a very good definition here in Revelation 22 of what uh, what fanaticism is. Those who are fanatical, they either add to God's word, or they'll take away from God's word. So we got to be very, very careful from that. And, and, and actually, that can be a, um, a litmus test for you, uh, a red flag to you, that this you may be speaking to someone, trying to teach you something um, that is, is of a fanatical nature, if they have added to God's word or taken away from God's word. But to understand doctrine, bring all the scriptures together on the subject you wish to know. And if you can form your, your theory uh, without a contradiction, going by the weight of evidence, you're not going to be in error. If someone claims that there is an error or contradiction in the word of God, friends, let me tell you, you can rest assured that the error is in their own mind and not in God's holy word. The seventh treasure-finding tool is context. Context. 1 Corinthians 14, verses 33 and 40. For God is not the author of confusion. And we're also told, let all things be done decently and in order. God, the Creator God, is a God of order. He's not the author of confusion. That is Satan. So when we study the Word of God, we need to make sure that we're reading things in their context. 2 Peter 3 and verse 16, As also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood, and you will come across in your study of the Bible, some things that will be hard to understand, at least in the beginning. He goes on, he says, Which they that are unlearned and unstable rest. There's that word, that's interesting. Rest as they, and that's W-R-E-S-T, as you can see. <laughs> they rest as they do also the other scriptures unto their own destruction. Now, the Greek word for rest means to wrench or torture. I like that word torture. They torture or they twist what is already straight. Well, what does context mean? Webster's Dictionary defines it as the parts of a discourse that surround a word or passage and can throw light on its meaning. That's very good. It can throw light on its meaning. That's the newer, a newer version of Webster's Dictionary. Notice what the 1828 version, or excuse me, version adds. It says, the sense of a passage of scripture is often illustrated by the context. Isn't that interesting? Context is what gives sense or light to the word or passage that's being used. So, to remove the context would change the sense or light of it, right? Now, that makes sense, doesn't it? You know, a friend of mine said this about context. He said, if you take the four letters text out of the seven-letter word context you have only three letters remaining. Con. And in the Bible, if you take the text out of context, you have the perfect formula for a spiritual con. 
in order to sustain erroneous doctrines or, or, or unchristian practices, some spiritual con men will seize upon passages of Scripture that are separated from the context. You know, perhaps quoting half of a single verse as proving their point, when the remaining portion would show the meaning to be quite the opposite. I had one gentleman who pulled one word out of a, of a scripture and and dwelt on that word, ignoring the rest of the scripture. So, in looking at the context of a word or phrase, it's important to look at the rest of the verse, and even the verses surrounding it. That's called the narrow context. But it's also important to consider the wide context. You know, the whole chapter maybe, maybe even the whole book. Um, understanding the author of the book, um, who it was originally written to, when it was written, why it was written, um, the circumstances existing at the time. These should all help to improve the overall picture and make it uh, a lot easier to grasp the original intended meaning of each word and phrase. The eighth treasure-finding tool is that every word must have its proper bearing on the subject. In Luke 4 and verse 4, this is the, the words of our Savior Jesus. He said, It is written that man shall not live by bread alone, but by what? Every word of God. Not every word of your pastor, not every word of your, uh, of your teacher, but every word of what? Of God. Now, the word of God is actually many words, isn't it? And we already read that every word is profitable. You know, God doesn't merely fill space with vain and idle words. Remember what Jesus said. He said, every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. Matthew twelve thirty six. So this means when we're studying God's Word, we need to give due consideration to every word. We need to think about the purpose for each word. You know, Elder Skeet said this this morning that uh, in a lot of the Bible translations, the newer ones, they're concentrating more on, or the emphasis is more on, what maybe the thoughts of the authors were, what they meant in their thoughts instead of the actual word that was inspired. But we need to take every word, see, and and think about the purpose of that word. Testimonies for the Church, Volume 5, page 434. Not by one word, not by many words. But by every word that God has spoken shall man live. You cannot disregard one word, a single injunction that he has given, however trifling it may seem to you, and be safe. It's very important. Now, the possible meanings for every word also need to be determined. First, see if and how the same word is used elsewhere in the context. Second, see if and how the same author used the same word in a different context. Um, third, see if and how another biblical author used the same word. And last, see how the word is used in non-biblical sources, such as you know dictionaries, like I use Webster's Dictionary. If you're going to use a dictionary, um, use the Webster's 1828 version. Uh, it is closer, has incredible um, forethought and, and definitions compared to a lot of the dictionaries of today. Now, it is possible that a Bible version may have translated a word poorly, or in some cases just outright wrong. But even in that case, uh, the original inspired word still has a meaning, and the possible meanings can be determined by looking at the, the uses of the original Hebrew or Greek words. You know, use Strong's exhaustive concordance, use the Hebrew and Greek lexicons, um, etc. The ninth treasure-finding tool is sufficient, credible evidence um, that shows something to be true. 
sufficient, credible evidence. Not just evidence, but it's got to be enough evidence and it's got to be credible evidence. Deuteronomy chapter 19, verse 15. One witness shall not rise up against a man for any iniquity or for any sin in any sin that he sinneth at the mouth of two witnesses or at the mouth of three witnesses shall the matter be established. And they need to be credible witnesses. See? 2 Corinthians 13 and verse 1. This is the third time I'm coming to you. In the mouth of two or three witnesses shall every word be established. Look at 1 John 5 and verse 8. And there are three that bear witness in earth, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree in one. So, more than one witness, usually. Now, if it was a perfect world without sin, we'd only need one witness. But we're not in that type of world, are we? And so, if it's very important to God, you'll notice throughout His Word as you study, He'll have several witnesses, especially of doctrines, uh, of righteous principles. There will be several witnesses throughout the, the Bible that emphasize that principle or that doctrine. Notice this. Testimonies for the Church, Volume 3, pages 255 uh, to 258. God does not propose to remove all occasion for unbelief. He gives evidence which must be carefully investigated with a humble mind and a teachable spirit. We need to have teachable spirits. If you come to the Bible, friends, with preconceived ideas and just want to prove something that you're, or prove that your idea is correct, that's not a teachable spirit. We need to come to the Bible to learn what it has to say to us. And she says, we need to carefully investigate these, uh, these evidences that God gives with a humble mind and a teachable spirit. And all should decide from the weight of evidence. The unbelief that demands perfect knowledge will never yield to the evidence that God is pleased to give. He requires of his people faith that rests upon the weight of evidence, not upon perfect knowledge. Now, knowledge is very, very important, isn't it? But just having knowledge is not going to help us. We need to have a love for the truth. We need to be humble and have teachable spirits. You know, some people will compile, and I've run into this several times, they'll compile a wide array of Bible quotes and make a fairly impressive case for their inclusion. Uh, for their conclusion. But if you look at each individual text in context, you'll find that things have been taken out of context, and thus their evidence, well, it's not credible. I had a brother come to me who showed me pages and pages of quotes in an effort to persuade me of a new doctrine. He discovered this new doctrine. But I shared with him from the Bible that his entire premise was in error. I showed him three scriptures that contradicted his pages and pages and pages of supposed evidence. Well, his pages and pages of quotes were then seen to be out of context. You know, think of it as a court case. You're in court, and, and the side with the greatest quantity of ev evidence does not necessarily win, does it? The case is determined by the weight of credible evidence. And friends, the same is true with God's Word. Two or three credible evidences outweigh hundreds of texts that are misinterpreted. Therefore, regardless of how much evidence may seem to support a doctrine, think about this. That doctrine should not be held if there are two or three irrefutable texts that are against that doctrine. If someone is holding to a doctrine, let's say, then they, they show you 50 texts that support that doctrine, but you can show three, like I did with the brother, uh, other scriptures that contradict that doctrine, what are you supposed to do? Well, you better put that doctrine aside and, and bring all those scriptures together, remember, all scripture, and see what the weight of evidence really does say. The tenth treasure finding tool is to use common sense 
reasoning. You know, I did some work for a, a gentleman when I was in high school, me and my buddies. And this gentleman had three um, degrees from Purdue University. Three degrees. But he had didn't have one lick of common sense. <laughs> so you can have all kinds of knowledge, but no common sense. And, and this principle of common sense reasoning is rarely thought of when discussing Scripture. But it is biblical and it is important, especially when it comes to understanding Bible prophecy. Friends, we must use sound, common sense reasoning in determining truth. The Lord created us as free moral agents. He gave us a mind to think. And he wants us to use our mind correctly to reason with him and others to learn and share the truth. And, and I'll tell you, this is also why health reform is so important. It's so that we may have good functioning minds that can use common sense reasoning. Sad to say, I think today we're seeing less and less common sense in the world. Isn't that true? But this is a treasure-finding tool. This is a biblical principle, common sense reasoning. Look at Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 18. Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Acts 17 and verse 2. And Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them, and three Sabbath days, what did he do? He reasoned with them out of the scriptures. Acts 18 and verse 4. And he, what? Reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded the Jews and the Greeks. Which leads to Romans 14 and verse 5. It says, every, let every man be fully persuaded in his what? In his own mind. Well, Pastor Joel, I'm not so sure that's a Bible principle. Well, sure it is, friends. Why else would God give us minds? He would have, would have made us robots, right? Let me share this with you. It's from Selected Messages, Volume 3, page 217. God wants us all to have what? Common sense. And he wants us to reason from what? Common sense. Here's one more. Counsels to Parents, Teachers, and Students, page 257. We are to be guided by true theology and, what she say? Common sense. And we can rest assured that God doesn't want us to believe ridiculous nonsense, friends. So, uh, he wants us to use common sense. He wants us to have spiritual sanity and exercise good common sense. And we should use our reasoning powers to determine and understand the correct meaning of God's word. Yet we should never... Don't misunderstand me. We should never exalt our mind above his word, nor question the truthfulness of it. Remember, we need to trust in God. The eleventh treasure-finding tool is to give an answer. Now, this is an interesting principle, Bible principle. This is a principle that Rarely is spoken of as a Bible study principle, but let me tell you why it is. It helps, this principle actually helps to test our comprehension of what we have studied, as well as it keeps us on the pathway of truth. Let me share a couple scriptures. 1 Peter 3 and verse 15. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to what? Give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. We need to be ready always to give an answer. And, and this happens usually. That What happens is you'll be out doing uh, your work each day. And uh, this is why Paul actually talks about we are to, to pray without ceasing. We need to be in an attitude of prayer, an attitude of communication with God, ready to give an answer when someone asks, you see. Uh, but we may be out doing our, our, you know, maybe at our job or doing whatever errands, whatever we may be doing each day, and the devil is going to be trying to distract us. And it happens, uh, you know, it just happens. And somebody 
um, especially if the devil knows that the Lord is bringing somebody to get an answer from you. <laughs> He's going to try uh, to distract. Um, but we need to be able to give an answer. Um, and, and, and in order to do that, we need to use these Bible study principles and have those principles that we've learned from the Bible and those doctrines that we've learned and those truths that we've learned in our minds so that we can give an answer. And um, and and be ready always to give an answer. That's why it's important to, to have an attitude of prayer, uh, communication, like I, I said before. Um, and I'll tell you, you may be witnessing to somebody and the devil's going to bring somebody somebody up to try to distract both of you. Has that ever happened to you? I'm sure it has. Titus chapter 1 verses 9 to 11. Holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. For there are many unruly and vain talkers and deceivers whose mouths must be stopped. How are we going to stop them if we don't aren't able to give an answer, friends, who subvert whole houses, teaching things which they ought not for filthy lucre's sake. We need to be able to give an answer. Notice this, the Review and Herald, May 3rd, 1887. You want your understanding quickened. You want to know that you know the real principles of the truth. And then when you meet with opponents, you'll not have to meet them in your own strength. The angel of God will stand right by your side to help you in answering every question that may be asked you. So we do want our understanding quickened. We want to know the real principles of truth. And so um, as we gain experience, gain knowledge, as we search the scriptures using these principles of study, and we have that in our mind, just being able to give an answer to people, we will gain the experience to to um, to shut the mouths of the gainsayers, and we don't need to worry about then having an answer necessarily, because the angel of God, we're told he'll, here, will be by our side, helping us to answer every question. But this is probably the most powerful principle um, in detecting error as well. You see, friends, it's relatively easy to to agree with all the other principles that I've shared, even while believing in error. However, it's not very easy to agree with this principle unless you actually have a clear understanding and actually give an answer to the questions that are asked of you. You know, therefore, the um, the inability to answer sincere questions can be a red flag. It can be a cause for alarm. Now, if somebody um, asks you a, a question and you don't have an answer, then, then be honest and say, I, you know, that's a, that's a good question. I, I'm not sure about that. Let me get back to you on that. Don't try to guess at an answer if you don't know the answer. Now, there are many ways you can give an answer, you know, by voice, by pen, by action. Um, but the point is to give one when asked. Um, those who really have the truth will have confidence, you see, to answer questions and objections. And, and they'll also be eager to live in harmony with the truth. And they will be living in harmony with the truth. And like I said, if you don't know the answer to a question, then just say, I don't know the answer. Um, in fact, you shouldn't hold or, or teach a doctrine until you can give an accurate answer for your belief and you know that you can back it up with support um, if you try to guess an answer and it's wrong you're basically bearing false witness even if you do it ignorantly friends so keep that in mind as well here's the 12th treasure finding tool and this may be a surprise to some it's to be a doer of the word John 17, verses 16 and 17. Jesus answered them and said, My doctrine is not mine, but his that sent me. If any man will do his will, what's the result? He shall know of the doctrine 
whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. So we study the Bible. We want to know the doctrines. If we're doing God's will, we're going to know of the doctrine, whether it is of God or whether someone's just uh, has a private interpretation, you see. It's by obeying the truth that we receive the ability to learn more truth. James 1, verse 22. Be ye doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving your own selves. Romans 2, verse 13. For not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law shall be justified. And let me share this with you as we close up here. From the Review and Herald, February 2nd, 1893. By the practice of the truth we already know. Now you see, you've got to study the Bible in order to know it. And then once you know it, you need to practice it. See, By the practice of the truth we already know, increased light will shine upon us from the Holy Scriptures. It's going to open up more truth in God's Word. If we choose to follow all 12, friends, of these basic Bible study principles, including being doers of the Word, then we'll continue to learn more and more of God's truth. And these 12 principles will not only be the foundation for, for many important Bible doctrines, but they'll also be the foundation for more advanced Bible study principles, especially when we get into uh, the study of Bible prophecy. There are some... Um, some more principles involved in the study of prophecy. Uh, but I encourage you to use these treasure-finding tools, as I call them, that, that Jesus has provided us, and dedicate ourselves to diligently searching for the treasure of truth. And friends, let us give our hearts to His cause and go home to the treasure that's stored for us in heaven, a treasure that will not rust or decay. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we again thank you so much for this Sabbath day. We thank you for the opportunity that we've had to come together and worship thee in spirit and in truth to learn what your Bible has to say to us about how to study it. And we pray for the Holy Spirit to be with us in, in great measure and power to give us discernment and wisdom to use these principles to learn more about Jesus so that people can see Jesus alive in us. We pray for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit to be with us as we go about day by day to share the truth with others. May we be able to give an answer when asked. And may we be found faithful when Jesus returns. We pray this in Jesus' name, for He's so worthy. Amen.